welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. We've got some really interesting stuff to talk about in this episode. I'm going to share my thoughts on a Twitter conversation where Google engineer Paul Haar made some very interesting comments that I believe can tell us a lot about how Google's algorithms have changed over the years. There's been some chatter this week about a potential algorithm update over the weekend, although for the first time in many weeks, I actually don't agree that an update happened. It's possible Google did something, but for most of our clients that saw changes in traffic last week, we can explain that change with seasonality, as it was Easter weekend. But I do want to touch on some more on March 29th as a possible significant update that I think we probably should be investigating a little bit more deeply. This is an exciting week for us at MHC because we have two new staff with us. We had over 500 people apply for an entry-level junior digital marketing position, and my team and I have been interviewing and taking notes and making hard decisions for a couple of months now to end up with two incredible people, Jamie and Sukjit. We've been working for months now on a training program that it'll probably take them about eight months, maybe even longer, to complete. Our goal is to have these folks trained up as junior auditors to help assist our senior site auditors, and then eventually they'll have learned enough about EAT and technical SEO and link quality and all those important things to start doing some site review work on their own. So far this week, we've just been talking about the basics of SEO, and both Jamie and Sukjit are impressing me with the knowledge that they have already. Today, we walked through parts of Moz's beginner guide to SEO, and then next week, they're going to start writing some of our newsletter entries as well. So I thought I'd introduce them to you as those of you who are newsletter subscribers, you'll be reading their content. You know, we really stumbled upon a good learning method here. When our junior auditors summarize SEO articles for the newsletter, they're constantly learning. So. Welcome to the team, Sukjit and Jamie. We're really pleased to have you. This is episode number 178 of Search News You Can Use. You can find an online version of this newsletter at mariehaines.com newsletter. At any point in this podcast, if you do find the information helpful or interesting, I'd love for you to leave me a like on whatever platform you're listening on, and I'd encourage you to subscribe as well. You know, Glenn Gabe was tweeting today some stats from Apple that show that the vast majority of podcasts out there only ever produce fewer than 10 episodes. I get why that is. It's a lot of work putting out a podcast. I just look back and I've been doing this recording for almost two years now. It'll be two years at the end of April. And at first we got a small handful of people listening. I used to get really excited if a hundred people listened to podcast. See, the thing is when you produce a podcast, you're essentially speaking into a void. <laughs> I remember one day when somebody messaged me to ask me a question about something I'd said in podcast. And they said that they had it on in the background while they were cooking dinner. And for some reason, that really, really struck me as something incredible that people would choose to listen to me talk about SEO, which I absolutely love to do, even when they weren't technically at work. So thank you for those who are listening. I, I think we usually get uh, close to a thousand, actually a little bit more than a thousand listens or downloads for each episode, which blows my mind. I, I would do this 
even if there were very few listeners, though. Uh, what many of you guys might not know is that the reason why I record podcasts is mostly for completely selfish reasons. <laughs> the stuff I'm going to talk about today, if I didn't talk about it in podcast, I would have just skimmed over a few articles. But in order for me to talk about it, I really need to dig in and get some sort of an understanding. So I just want to say, if you're listening, Having an audience forces me to learn, and learning is very, very addictive. And it's very cool when some of you reach out to MHC to have work on your websites done because you've enjoyed the podcast. So here's a perfect example of something that I would have just skimmed over, but I spent a lot more time on this uh, because I wanted to explain it for, for podcast. Search Engine Roundtable had an article this week about a conversation between Google engineer Paul Haar and a woman named Daphne Keller, who used to be one of Google's lawyers. Paul Haar called her a Google search lawyer. He also commented on what incredible insight she has. I'm not going to read the entire Twitter thread because a lot of it is talking about the ethics of Facebook's algorithms and things like that that aren't really relevant to uh, this conversation. The part that was most interesting to me, though, was when they talked about something that they call adversarial or evolutionary behavior. So Paul Har, Paul Har goes on to explain what he means by the term evolutionary behavior. He said it happens because over time, certain behaviors are rewarded by algorithms. So he's talking in specific about Google's algorithms, uh, but the conversation started off about Facebook. So certain behaviors are rewarded by search engine algorithms. Let me explain that. As SEOs, a lot of what we do when we're trying to help our clients is based on our experience of what's been rewarded in the past. I shared a couple of episodes ago about how many years ago, when I was first learning SEO, I worked with a client to get a bunch of guest posts published. And very soon after those guest posts were published and they contained links pointing back to our website, the rankings for that website improved. And that was very rewarding. And you could see why I might be motivated to step those methods up. <laughs> I learned, and this was probably like 10 years ago, a method for creating my own links that would at that time have a positive benefit when it came to Google's algorithms. So then Paul Haar goes on to say that from Google's perspective, their goal is not to reward behaviors. Google's goal is to, and, and these are Paul's own words here, find indicators of goodness. Here's a quote from this Twitter thread. Paul says, quote, from the early Google perspective, links were just about relevance, authoritativeness, prominence, etc. But as soon as it's known that a search engine uses links as an indicator, or he put in brackets, a signal, there is an incentive to create links that only exist for search engines. So what we see as a reward as an increase in rankings that falls on the heels of building our own links, it's actually, in my opinion, just kind of a loophole that we discovered to try and trick Google's algorithms into thinking that our websites uh, have signals pointing to them that demonstrate authoritativeness. I'll continue reading here. He says, quote, the search engines didn't see it as links being rewarded. But of course, from an SEO's perspective, links absolutely were. Hence, link exchange schemes, which seemed perfectly ethical to some, some SEOs, but were treated as abuse by search engines. 
So here's the part that I thought was the most interesting. Paul's final tweet says this, this behavior is going to happen, I'd expect, with any signal that becomes understood by an optimization community. That's us, SEOs, right? He says, but it's going to lead to worse diver divergence when there's greater distance between what the signal is used as an indicator of and how it's used in optimization. So what does he mean there? When there's greater distance between what the signal is used as an indicator of and how it's used in optimization. Google's own documentation tells us that links are used as a proxy for authoritativeness and also for reputation. Google's early algorithms were way better than any other search engine out there because they figured out that pages that get a lot of links pointing to them are pages that are being recommended by a lot of people. And usually that means that those are pages that are worth ranking well when other people search for similar information. Google has advanced a lot since these early days. In the Google movie that I keep recommending, it's called Trillions of Questions. They talk about this new ranking system that they're very, very proud of. It's called DeepRank. And DeepRank is a combination of Google's ranking system along with Google's understanding of language which has progressed so much over the last few years. Google has so many ways now to determine which businesses are authoritative and trustworthy beyond just links. I first started talking about EAT in early 2017, four years ago. But I bet you the concepts of finding signals to determine which businesses truly have expertise and are seen as authorities and are trustworthy enough to rank are things that Google was working on for many years, even before 2017. The point that I'm trying to get at here is that they have many more signals now to analyze when they're trying to assess whether websites should be ones that they should rank highly than just links. So I'm not saying that links are dead, that link building is completely dead, or that SEO is dead. But I want to challenge you to take a deep look at the tactics that you're using these days to help your clients or even to help your own website. I saw this Reddit post this week of somebody who was working for an SEO agency and was asking whether every SEO agency was a complete fraud. This person's company was just doing the things that they've done year after year and building low quality links like many of us did 10 years ago or even 15 years ago. Um, and I'm not... I'm not saying that they're a fraud. I don't know what they were doing, but I think so many SEO companies are stuck on methods that used to work and used to be rewarded. And we need to move on. We need to recognize that Google wants to reward businesses that truly are the best. And we, there aren't necessarily loopholes anymore to get there. So if you're not the best choice for users, uh, getting links pointing to your website is not always going to help you to rank the best. I'm not going to harp on this anymore, but I wanted to leave you with one question. For those of you who either work in an SEO agency or do freelance SEO or even just do work to optimize your own website, if you took link building away from these offerings that you, that you have, would you still have a lot of tools in your toolbox? Probably a better question would be, do you still have a lot of effective tools in your toolbox? I'm not saying that we should stop all link building. 
If you can find ways to truly get well-known authoritative websites in your vertical mentioning you and linking to you and talking about the content that you produced, then those links and mentions can speak strongly to your EAT. You can reach out to my team if you want to ask for recommendations. Uh, if you have the budget to hire a company that can get you mentioned in good authoritative places, then uh, we're working on relationships where uh, we can recommend companies to you that can help you get mentioned in places, uh, places that probably matter. But if you're building your own links in the hope of convincing Google's algorithms that these links are a sign that your reputation and your authority is fantastic, my guess is that most of you who are doing this are wasting a lot of time doing things that Google used to reward when they've moved on and gotten much more sophisticated. All right, let's, let's move on and talk about algorithm updates. So once again, there was a lot of chatter this week about a possible significant update happening over the weekend. I was off on Friday because it was Good Friday. And on Friday afternoon, I started seeing a bunch of Twitter notifications from people asking whether there'd been a big update. I've learned now that there's no point in me jumping in and trying to be the first one to figure out whether Google has done something big because I can learn a lot more if I let the data sit for a few days. So that's what I did. And just yesterday, I took a look at the analytics for all of our clients. Bree and Uli on my team, they spend the beginning of every week taking screenshots of any Google organic traffic patterns for our clients that seem out of the ordinary. And then what I do is I review all that data and see where I can find patterns. It's usually pretty obvious to see when Google's done something significant. When you look at all of the patterns across our entire client base, um, we have sites that uh, I have added me in Google Analytics years and years and years ago. And so we have several hundred sites in our client base. And when, when Google does something significant, it's usually fairly obvious to, to us whether uh, something has happened. So we did have a few clients with increases or even decreases over the last weekend. But in almost every case, we could explain it by seasonality. A few of our clients that saw nice gains over the weekend were recipe sites. And it makes sense, like even with the pandemic going on, more people are cooking for their families on a holiday weekend. So I'm pretty sure that the increase that we saw there was not because Google changed their algorithms, but more because more people were searching for that type of content. Although I should clarify that, it's certainly possible that rankings for many of these sites changed on Easter weekend, as well as, you know, not just traffic and search patterns, the rankings themselves could have changed. Uh, because sometimes Google's trying to figure out freshness and whether certain types of content are more relevant because it's Easter weekend. And then sometimes those rankings can just return to what they were uh, before the holiday weekend started. We see this a lot at Christmas time. Um, we have at least one client that ranks extremely well for transactional terms uh, for the majority of his products for most of the year. And then every year, a couple of months before Christmas, they get outranked by Amazon, which is unfortunate for my client because that's obviously when they're going to sell the most product. That's when they want to be ranking well. But Google's algorithms can figure out that when the holiday shopping season starts at the end of the year, more people actually prefer to buy from Amazon than from my client's website. And so they'll shift the rankings at certain times in the year uh, just based on how people's search behavior changes. At this point, my guess was to say that there was not 
a significant Google update over the weekend, which is pretty incredible considering that every single podcast episode since late January, I've been commenting on what looks like a new potential Google update. Uh, I did want to go back though and just talk briefly about March 29th as a significant update. Just looking at this briefly, I think it does warrant some investigation. And that's on my list for this week to review. We've listed this on our algo update list. You can find it at mariehaines.com slash algo as probably another tweak to Google search quality algorithms. But now that we've got a full week of data to look at, because last week when I talked about this, we really only had a couple of days to go on. It really does look like something more significant happened. I tweeted a poll asking whether your traffic had declined around March 29th. Um, and when you take out the respondents who clicked on the option just to see the results of the poll, close to 50% of the 170 or so people responding actually did see significant decreases in Google traffic starting around March 29th. And that's not something we can blame on Easter because that was a whole week before Easter. If you suffered a significant traffic drop starting either March 28th, because we have a few clients that it seemed to start March 28th, or more likely March 29th, I'd really love for you to tweet at me, it's Marie underscore Haynes, just to let me know what you're seeing. Uh, again, this is gonna be part of my investigation over the next few days. And the reason why we investigate this is because often if we can find patterns amongst sites that did well with the Google update, we can combine that with our knowledge of what's in the quality raters guidelines and other Google documentation. And then we can come up with recommendations that would make a site be more likely to be in line with what the quality raters guidelines say is a sign of quality. And a lot of the time, if you make enough of these types of changes, you'll see a nice increase in traffic with future core updates. My guess is that March 28th, 29th is probably just another one of these quality tweaks that we've been seeing almost weekly since the end of January. Although you might recall that I've been talking about the knowledge graph updates. The knowledge graph is, for those who don't know, is a collection, it's Google's collection of facts. It's things that they call entities. And then there are associations between these entities that really, really help Google to determine uh, a lot of things in regards to, um, to search. Jason Barnard's company, Calicube, they measure when the knowledge graph seems to have gone through significant changes. And it's really interesting to see that March 27th, just a day before we started seeing some fluctuations, was another one of these knowledge graph updates. If that's the case, then what we expect to see, what I'll probably see once I do my analysis of this update, is that once again, this was a little update where Google got just a little bit better at elevating relevant and trustworthy content. As the knowledge graph grows, so does Google's understanding of everything. So I'll let you know when next week's, in next week's podcast, whether this is the case or whether there's something else potentially going on here. I'm not sure if you saw this news, but Yahoo Answers is shutting down as of May 4th this year. I want to tell you a story because Yahoo Answers is one of the reasons why you're listening to this podcast today. For those of you who might be new to the podcast, I was a veterinarian before I got into SEO. I graduated from University of Guelph in 1999. And in 2005, Yahoo Answers hit the web. Now, I'm sure most of you know what Yahoo Answers is. 
is very similar to Quora, where anybody can ask a question and anybody can answer that question. The problem with this, though, is that anyone, even if they have bad information or absolutely no qualifications, is free to answer a question. And Yahoo Answers used to rank really, really well for a lot of veterinary queries. I really think it's because there was very little other content out there. <laughs> the one that bothered me the most was if you searched for anything related to a dog having bloody diarrhea. I I'm going to apologize here in advance to anybody who's eating right now because talking about blood in your dog's stool probably isn't the most appetizing thing right now. But let's say, let's say it's 11 o'clock at night and you send your dog out to the backyard and when he comes back, there's a trail of blood dripping from his hind end. And you go out and you take a flashlight and you see that, oh my gosh, my dog's poop is essentially a big pile of blood. That's terrifying, right? Well, back in 2006 or so, if you had gone to your computer and Googled, why does my dog have blood in his poop or bloody diarrhea for dogs or anything like that, there's a good chance that you would have found a Yahoo Answers post with person after person giving different reasons why your dog was essentially about to die. <laughs> Perforated intestines and blockages and deadly bacterial infections. The list was really scary. The thing is though, as a vet, I probably saw every day or at least several times a week, a case of a dog with bloody diarrhea. It's really easy for dogs to get blood in their stool. And, and you know, 99% of the time when this happens, it's absolutely nothing to worry about. See, with dogs, just a little bit of inflammation in the large intestines can cause a whole bunch of bleeding. And it's almost always nothing serious, or at least nothing terribly serious. The vast majority of the time, what had happened was like maybe the dog ate a treat that they weren't used to or recently switched to a new food. That's a big culprit as well. I want to give just one little note here. I don't usually put my veterinary hat on, but I've had a few people ask me about this recently. For those of you who are feeding your dogs high-end uh, grain-free foods, and I'm going to name the one that is the most common from if you're feeding your dog from, I have seen so many dogs and cats as well as, as a vet that had chronic diarrhea issues that we solved completely by taking them off of that food. So I have, uh, I have concerns about the quality, even though they sell it as a high quality food, but it's way too rich for a lot of pets. So anyways, let's move back to SEO. <laughs> so while it's true that there's some very serious conditions in dogs that can cause blood in the stool, if your dog's bright and happy and eating, the odds are that a little bit of fasting, maybe a bland diet for a couple of days is going to fix the problem. But that's not what Yahoo Answers said, because it was written by just lay people. And the reason why I said you let your dog out at 11 o'clock at night when I was giving this story is because I used to do emergency work as a vet, and I would get called all the time just before bed by somebody who had just noticed blood in their dog's stool when they let them out for their last bathroom break before bed. And then they go to Google and Yahoo Answers would tell them that this was a serious emergency. And I had all sorts of people that were willing to pay hundreds of dollars in emergency fees for me to go into the office late at night, sometimes in the middle of the night, uh, just to look at their dog, when in most cases it really was not an emergency. So I had this dream that maybe one day, 
I'd make my own website and I'd put good expert level content on it so that people would know when they needed to pay money to go see a vet and maybe when it would be okay to just keep an eye on things for a while. So then a couple years after this started happening, I hurt my back and uh, I've told this story lots, but I was on bed rest for a while. So I decided to learn how to make a website. Well, I'll tell you, I'm very proud to say that for a long time, my top search query for this website, it was a veterinary advice website, was bloody diarrhea in dogs or something like that. It might have been dog pooping blood. I think that's actually what more people search for because it looks like I've heavily optimized the page for that term. But the thing is that I accomplished my goal and I was able to share good, accurate, expert level advice to help people who had that question. So I realized this week how poetic it is that I started my career as an SEO essentially being frustrated that Google was ranking pages lacking EAT. <laughs> I mean, of course, I didn't know what EAT was at the time, but it frustrated me that there was wrong advice being given to people who had desperate questions. I had no idea that I would one day run a company that was known for helping websites create expert level, trustworthy content. So yes, Yahoo Answers is shutting down as of May 4th. There may be some opportunities for some of you who are listening to this to create content that ranks based on what Yahoo Answers used to rank for. I just went to SEMrush and I looked at ranking data for answers.yahoo.com. And then what I did was I searched for, uh, so if I was doing this for my veterinary site, um, I would maybe say I search for uh, which of those, what keywords are they ranking for that contain, say, the word dog? And there's many things you could, you could, you know, you could do cats, you could do all sorts of, you could do vets, you could do all sorts of things like that. Um, and then I set the filters on SEMrush to show the, uh, just queries that were ranking in the top 10 that contained the word dog that Yahoo Answers was ranking for. So let's say I was still actively working on this site. I'm not, but one day I do want to revive it at some point. Here's some queries that Yahoo Answers currently holds top 10 rankings for. Uh, is teriyaki sauce bad for dogs? I used to have a page on uh, things that were toxic to dogs that ranked for all sorts of stuff. Uh, female dog sagging belly. People have questions about that. Oh my gosh, my dog drank my pee. It's a top search query. And right now, Yahoo Answers ranks number two for that query. And above them is Quora. Now, anytime you see this, there's a good chance that if you have a site with any kind of EAT on the subject, then you could create a page that includes the answer to one of these questions. And there's a really good chance that Google would rank it well. So some of you might find some long, some ideas for long tail keywords that you could rank for by looking at what used to rank from Yahoo Answers. I really don't know why they're shutting it down, even though it's not the greatest and it's been hit by several Google updates. SEMrush is still estimating that Yahoo Answers garners 2 million visitors every month. Who knows, maybe all this low quality content that's often inaccurate is impacting other more valuable properties that Yahoo owns. That's a possibility. I went to Yahoo Answers this morning to see if it was still just as bad as I remember. And uh, the term that I put in, I searched for link building. And the answer that Yahoo Answers gave me as their top answer for link building uh, told me all about how I should be doing things like directory submissions, article submissions, press releases, social bookmarking. <laughs> 
I'm not too upset that the site's going away. I'll tell you that. There are a few other things I should probably mention before we wrap this podcast up. Um, I haven't been tracking a lot about local SEO uh, in the last few months. Bright Local's rank tracker is showing that maybe there was a significant local update on March 30th, which makes the whole idea of this March 29th organic update even more interesting. Again, I hope to have more information for you next week on what happened at the end of March, or at least on what patterns we can see amongst sites that were affected. There's a glitch that apparently those of you who have Google My Business listings for a service area business should know about. Apparently, a lot of these service areas are listing the middle of the country as your search area, no matter where your address is. So if you're in the U.S., your map marker would be in Kansas, no matter where in the U.S. you are. And if you're in Canada, your map marker would be in Saskatchewan. Uh, If you're seeing this, it's apparently a bug. I'm sure Google's on it and it should be fixed soon. Google also made changes to the Core Web Vitals FAQ post that we talked about last week. There's really nothing earth shattering there, but we've covered those changes in newsletter if you want to read them. We have an interesting summary in newsletter of an article that Jason Barnard wrote on how to get a knowledge panel. This is a bit of a shorter episode than I usually do, but I think I'm going to end it here. You might see a little bit less of me on Twitter over the next few weeks as we're really getting into our training of our new staff, but I'll still be checking in at least once a day. Uh, We got news that Ontario is going into a stricter lockdown starting Thursday, which is the day that podcast is released here of this week, which doesn't affect me directly because I barely leave my house. But I'm really, really looking forward to the day when I can meet with my team again and also when my girls can play with their friends and go back to having sleepovers and just being kids again. But I'm excited for those of you in the U.S. who seem to be edging a little bit closer to normalcy with vaccines rolling out. I think they're making a big difference. I would really encourage anybody who can get vaccinated to do so. (laughs) The way Canada's going, it looks like it's gonna be late summer probably before people my age can get vaccinated. And we're having a very serious problem right now with contagious variants of COVID. I fear we're gonna be into a a bit of a hard time again for the next little while. Uh, But we're hanging in there. We're, you know, everybody's happy. We're we're managing and uh, business is good. Um, So things could certainly be a lot worse. I just hope that they get better soon. I hope things are going okay in your part of the world. If you want to reach my team and contact us, you can do so by emailing help, H-E-L-P at mariehaines.com. Thanks so much for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. 